0: For more information about Redemption Church, and for additional resources, please visit
1: RedemptionOKC.com.
0: This is the last sermon in our hospitality series next week. We're actually going to jump into the book of Colossians, uh, which I cannot wait to introduce as we did. We planned on that being in the new building. Uh, We're not quite there, but we're just going to trust that the Lord's ramping us up, getting us ready for the new building as we head into that new series for the fall. Uh, We'll be there through Thanksgiving, um, studying the book of Colossians. Uh, We're also writing a study guide for you, and we'll have that available next week. So a study guide to help get you ready for Colossians. And then our small groups will be studying Colossians together all throughout the next three months. Uh, It's just going to be a deep dive in that book, and just trust that God's going to do good things. If you're not in a small group and we would love to connect you so that you could uh, have a group of people to walk alongside you. Part of our heart and our vision here is that even as we preach the word here, that you also would be able to go and sit down with a group of friends and say, well, how does, how does what God says in this word apply to kind of the, the ins and outs of my life situation as I walk and try to live this out? Not just to hear the word, but to do the word and to, to put it into practice. So Uh, If you're not connected to a small group, we'd love to get you connected so that you've got some people to walk alongside you and encourage you along the way. Sound good? All right. Well, let's jump into Luke chapter 14 as we finish up this series on hospitality. Hopefully, you're beginning to see that gospel hospitality is more than good manners and fresh appetizers. It's got to be more than that, right? Like charcuterie is really cute, uh, but it's not going to satisfy the deepest hunger of your soul. There's, there's got to be more to it than just rolling out a good spread of food and, and inviting some people over for some, for some queso or some chips and, uh, and some good eats. Um, but ultimately what we, what we see in this is not to diminish the value of food and enjoying God's good creation, but there's a reality that the seen, tangible things that we enjoy ought to point us to the unseen reality of a God who loves us enough that he put us in a world that we could enjoy so the 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 created things we enjoy ought to remind us that there's a creator that we're meant to enjoy and so they point us to something bigger and that's actually what we're going to see Jesus do in Luke 14 he actually takes the experience of a meal that he shares with some people and he turns it into a teaching point about God and about God's kingdom and this time it's kind of interesting because Jesus doesn't seem very polite like honestly as we read this story you just think man that's kind of rude I don't know, Jesus is he's kind of bowing up in the middle of this meal and doing some things that, that shake things up just a little bit, um, and, and it doesn't come across as very polite, but what we're going to see is he's actually engaging them on their turf and taking them on their terms. In Luke 14, verse 1, it begins and it just says, one Sabbath, when Jesus went in to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So, this is a Sabbath day, which is the day that's holy. They're not supposed to work, not supposed to do anything. And then on this Sabbath day, uh, one of the rulers, the religious leaders and rulers of Judaism at that time, called Jesus in and invited Jesus to come into a meal. So, I don't know what you think about religious leaders, but this is a meal with a group of religious leaders. Uh, maybe not as fun as the tax collectors and sinners that Jesus hung out with in the passage we looked at last week, uh, but it's going to be a different kind of meal. But you notice how Luke sets up the story from the very beginning. It says that that he went, Jesus went in to dine in the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, and they, meaning all the religious leaders, were doing what? Watching him carefully. Doesn't that feel like a religious thing to do? Like, ah, oh, I've just got my eye on you. Like, Jesus, I'm I'm watching. Like, I know I'm I'm keeping my eye on you. So so they're actually the ones that are. Challenging Jesus, they're kind of testing him. You see these things throughout throughout the Gospels over and over, where it says Jesus is doing something. It said the Pharisees ask him a question in order to test him, so they're actually challenging him, and they've invited him over to a meal. And so Jesus is coming in, and what we're going to see is that Jesus isn't coming in saying, I, "I want to come in and attack you." He's just saying, "Hey, I'm going to counter your challenge." And what we're going to see is he's just actually better at it than they are. And so in Luke 14, it begins, and this whole story begins to unfold. And the first thing Jesus done, does, he says, is it lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath or not? Remember, this is the Sabbath day. And there's a guy that's there at the table, apparently, that has something called dropsy. And Jesus goes, I'm going to go ahead and heal him. And he heals this guy. And he looks to him and says, which one of you would not heal your son or help your son out of a ditch if he were found himself in a bad place? Or if your own oxen, your, your, your prized possession, was in danger that you wouldn't rescue it and, and bring about its care? He's asking a simple question. Wouldn't you help someone that was in need if you could? And what's the right thing to do? Then Jesus goes on and tells another story. And they begin to, tells them this little parable about uh, where, they, where it is there to sit. And he says, now, if you go to a, a party and they invite you in, you know, you've got the, the head of the table, and then in, in those days, the way they worked everything out was the people that were most important sat near the head, and the people that were least important kind of got down near the rear of the table, and so they're back here at the backside, and, and, and so there's this progression of what it is. And he says, when you walk into a house party and you're invited, don't go to the top and sit yourself at the, at, at the head of the table, uh, because then if they come and there's someone more important, it's, it's kind, of a, kind of a bad deal when they go, hey, uh, we kind of need you to move back down the table a little bit. And you're going to be ashamed of the fact that you got moved from where you thought you fit to someplace a little bit lower on the pecking order of importance. He says, instead, seat yourself at the bottom. And then if they invite you up and said, you actually belong up here, then you can feel good about what it is. He's asking a question for them. Shouldn't you be willing to admit that you're not really that impressive? And don't we see that all over in our world? Don't we feel that in our hearts? That sometimes we want to be impressive. Sometimes we want to appear as something that maybe is a little greater than what we really are. Um, Jesus was, was, in a sense, calling that out. And what we're going to see is all these things are actually a setup. And Jesus is going to ask them an important question through a parable that he's going to tell in the second half of Luke 14. He says, when the king sends a signal that his great feast is ready, will you be willing to come to the table and admit that you're needy and hungry? Any of you have a holiday tradition like Christmas, Thanksgiving, where you had a kid's table? Like you had the adult's table and then you had the kid's table? Part of what Jesus is asking them is, hey, would would you be willing to go sit at the kid's table and admit that you don't have it all together and you just are dependent upon someone else to provide everything you need for you? Because that's really what God's grace looks like it's someone else has done all the work someone else has prepared the meal someone else has provided everything that you need all you do is sit at the kids table and receive the the great provision of a great feast and that's the picture that Jesus is going to portray here so let's pick up the story in verse 12 so Luke 14 verse 12 and Jesus said to the man who had invited him to the dinner when you give a dinner or banquet do not invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. It's an interesting story that Jesus begins to tell. and One of them hears this story, and you can almost feel the tension, can't you? Like, he's, he's sort of correcting the guy that invited him to a meal. And it's like, oh, it's probably not, you know, proper etiquette. Not sure what you're doing. And a guy gets uncomfortable. So another guy steps in and just tries to, like, ease the tension in the room. Uh, this guy's probably a peacemaker. And he, he says, whenever one of those who reclined at the table with him heard Jesus say these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Good theological religious answer. And Jesus said to him, a man. He's going to tell a story. A man once gave a great banquet, and he invited many people to join him. And at the time for the banquet, he sent a servant out to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, that I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. Another one said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is more room at the table. And the master said to the servant, Then go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited first Will taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. It's a story that's called the parable of the great banquet or the parable of the great supper. And it's a story that Jesus tells. And I want to just break down kind of what happens in this parable. Uh, it's a story about a great banquet that a man has, has thrown for everyone. He's invited many people. And we're meant to get the image of this kind of lavish feast in a great hall. Uh, you're meant to smell incredible food wafting across, and hear the clinking of glasses and uh, the silverware that's there, and uh, people that are that are laughing and, and that echoing throughout the hall. And Jesus, in Jesus' parable, God is actually the host of the party, and the meal at the table represents the blessing of God's salvation and all of its benefits. So it's it's a meal that represents God's saving them and restoring them to right fellowship with Him so that they can enjoy God's presence and all the goodness that he wants to give to them. And the master of the house is God. And so God, in the story, has invited all these people to come to the meal. You notice it says when the meal's ready that they rang the dinner bell. Uh, I mean, if you're in the South, that'd be a good thing to do. They just go out and ring the dinner bell. It's not really what they did. In that world, what they did was they sent uh, a servant out. And so what happened if you had a big feast was kind of like an RSVP card. They would, they would invite people to the party and those people would let them know, oh, yeah, man, I can make it. I've got, you know, they check their day timer. They look at their, put it in on their phone and say, yes, I can be there. When and when, where's the party? And they'd say, uh, you know, I'll see you on such and such a date. So what's happened is uh, the, the invitation has gone out and all of these people have said, yes, I can be there. And so when the meal is ready, what they did in those kind of upper class big party circles that they ran in at that time was when the meal was actually ready, they would send their servants out and they would run through the streets and they would go knock on the doors of everyone who was invited to the party and said, hey, it's time, let's go. And so those people would know to come on and show up because the meal is now ready. And what's happening in this story now is these people start coming up with excuses, don't they? Of why they can't come. So it's not just something that seems a little bit off. It's something that isn't just a little lack of courtesy. It's just flat out rude. It'd be like sending in your RSVP saying, we're going to be there and then no show in a party. Uh, it's kind of the picture you're meant, to get, you're meant to have. Notice in verse 18 what it says, but they all alike began to make excuses. When Jesus is telling the story, it says they all alike began to make excuses. What he's saying is all of these people had the same problem. The, the, the issue, the, the thing that's, that's coming to the forefront here is going to be the same in all three of these people. They've all got the same issue. And the, and the problem is this, that other opportunities seem more significant than the offer of this meal. Uh, Jesus is saying that, that the immediate things that they feel like they need to do get in the way of deciding to come and enjoy the offer or the invitation that Jesus, offered, or the, the master of the house, has offered to them. One guy said, these excuses are lame. They're even insulting in light of the occasion and the previous willingness to come. The fact that they said they would come, now they've got these really lame excuses. Look at their excuses. Uh, the first one, um, it, there in verse 19, uh, just uh, where go just says that I have bought a field and I must go out to see it. Uh, when it says I must go, it, it really is dealing with priorities. You know, I made a purchase of a field. What happened a times in that world is if they... Put through a financial transaction, they would go and buy a field. And so after the, the transaction had been done, the money had changed hands, they would go to inspect the field to make sure that everything was done just right. And so what this guy says is, hey, I know I said yes in RSVP that I would be at the party, but I must go do something else because my priorities dictate that I need to go and take care of this business transaction. The guy uh, didn't seem like a bad deal. He wants to make sure his financial investment is in order, right? Uh, It seems reasonable in some ways, but think about it for just a second. Now, did he really have to invest the field that night during dinner time? Was he not going to eat dinner somewhere else? Was he not going to reserve any other time? Was the field going to radically change between 6 p.m. that night and the next morning at dawn? Probably not. But for him, the value of the kingdom and the meal that was offered to him was not as important as the financial dealings that he had. Verse 19 says, Another one said, Hey, I bought five yoke of oxen. Now, Five, uh, this time it's not land, it's livestock. Five yoke of oxen was, was an enormous amount of wealth in that world. Most landowners that, that would farm the land would have one, maybe two. To, to purchase five additional yoke of oxen meant that this man probably owned as many as 250 acres to farm, and he was wealthy by any ancient standard. And let me ask you a question, the same question we asked before. Was anything radically different going to happen to these yoke that he had to go take care of that night? Or could it not have waited till morning? And yet he felt like this is a priority that trumps my going to the meal that I already committed to do. So he matches the same man's decline and says, please have me excused. And he uh, moves on. This man's very focused on the accumulation of wealth, his success, his influence, building a name for himself. And in all of those things that he continues to work and to, to try to build, he just says, this is my priority and it. It goes ahead of my enjoying a meal with this master that invited me to come. Now, verse 20, another one said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. This one's kind of funny, I think. Like, honestly, I look at it, I feel like Jesus probably said it tongue in cheek. In fact, Jesus at this meal of religious leaders would have been all men around the party. Women weren't invited to come in that day. And so Jesus uh, is is kind of saying this thing. And, you know, it's like, well, I'm, I'm so dreamily in love that I can't. I can't, I can't, you know, distance myself from my spouse for an hour or two for a meal. You know, so there's that deal. Or maybe his honey-do list is already so long that she's not going to let him go. We don't really know, but basically the guy's answer is, um, I'm married. So, like, that just should cover it. Like, I'm never going to make it to this meal. And, um, but look at the master's response in verse 21. What's the master say? So the servant came and reported these excuses to his master, and the master of the house became angry. Jesus saying that God, the one who invited everyone to come and enjoy this meal of his bounty and his blessing and his fellowship, the ones that refused him, that it made him angry. Now remember, Jesus is telling a story in response to the man's statement in verse 15. What was, the, what was the guy's statement? He said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. What's Jesus getting at? Saying, I'm not sure you guys are really as focused on the kingdom of God as you think you are. I'm I'm not sure that you really are as in touch with the blessing of getting to sit down in the kingdom of God and enjoy his bounty and his blessing as much as you think you are. In fact, I think you've been missing the point of everything I've been saying. And so Jesus is is coming at them because he wants them to understand the master of the house is God and God's prepared a great feast, but they're going to reject his offer. In fact, the fact that they are there challenging Jesus, Jesus came, and when Jesus stepped in, the first thing we see Jesus said in the Gospels is, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, turn, and trust, because Jesus was the one that was coming to bring the kingdom, and yet these religious leaders were rejecting Jesus. And so they were not going to enjoy the blessing that God had for them. In fact, what Jesus' parable is, is ultimately it's a, it's a warning saying that God's kingdom is coming with greater blessings than you can imagine, but you're about to miss out on all of it because you're distracted with all these other things. Friends, let me ask you a question. Does this message apply to you and me? Do do people in our world also miss out on the blessing of the kingdom of God? Do we have the capability of singing songs about the kingdom and talking about the kingdom and thinking about, oh, it'll be good one day to be in the kingdom, but have eyes that are looked that look about three feet in front of us and can't see what eternity looks like. We all struggle with the same thing. We seek comfort, security, and safety just like the guy who made the first excuse. I said, hey, I need to go invest my, make sure that my investment of this field that I purchased is going to provide for all my needs. I need to make sure that it's going to take care of everything that I have and, and, and I, need to, I need to make that a priority. I can't, I don't have time to to go spend at this meal with the Lord and dealing with his kingdom because I've got to focus on this. we, Run after comfort, security, safety. we also run like the second guy after success, growth, wealth, influence, like the guy with the five oxen that says, "Hey, I need to go and make sure my investment is going to produce, because I need to reap the benefits of all the investment that I made." And we do the same thing. We also run after family and relational and sexual enjoyment and the things that, that family and marriage can provide. And sometimes we allow that to cloud even our view. Of the kingdom, these are all good things, but they make bad gods, don't they? And so there's this push that Jesus is saying; he's challenging them to look beyond the immediate to see the blessing that's eternal, that will last forever. In Jesus' kingdom, what he's going to say is it offers a forever inheritance where moth and rust cannot destroy. And we see elsewhere in the scriptures that that to to follow Jesus into his kingdom means that one day we get to rule with him forever as those who co-reign alongside him in the new earth, that we enjoy a new community, a forever family with the people of God. Jesus is wanting us to reframe uh, the way in which we see the things that we label as must-haves today so that we take hold of the things that are, you don't want to miss out on this blessing tomorrow. But it's so easy for us to set our, eye, our sights on the immediate thing. In fact, philosopher Charles Taylor tells us that we all in our current world live in this, what he calls the imminent frame, which means that as far as we can see is how much my enjoyment of my world exists right now, and that's about as much as we can really see. And what Jesus is saying is that in that kind of a, a world of seeing, I want to give you a vision of something bigger. I want to take you beyond right now and right here and what you experience and what I, what I feel and what I desire. To show you a greater good that's to come. It's interesting that Jesus, I think, is is being pretty straightforward. He's saying, hey, I understand your current priorities. I just think your priorities need to change. You're going know, to feel that way sometimes with your kids, your spouse, your coworkers, your boss. Like, I understand your priorities. I just think they're out of whack. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying is, is I understand where you're coming from. I'm just telling you that where you're coming from is not going to lead you where you want to go. I want to show you a better way and so Jesus it's interesting that he doesn't postpone the banquet what's he do says the master was angry so what's he say go get more people and bring them in if they don't want to come then let's go find someone else who will because my table's open for all visitors my kingdom offers waiting and it culminates in a meal of God's blessing that lasts forever and so he's not going to postpone the banquet he didn't go Oh man, the food's ready. We'll just wait till we'll wait till it's convenient for y'all to show up and come back in. He says, "No, the the meal is ready. So go and find
1: someone and invite them to come in, friends." This is an important point. You understand that God will not be mocked. That God is holy,
0: and that He fights for His glory, and that He is a zealous God for His own glory. And so Jesus is is trying to help them understand that. This meal is not going to be pushed off. God is patient. God is kind. And we see in Scripture, His name says that He's slow to anger, but His holiness and His glory will not be set aside for the convenience of the people He created. And so there, there's this clear statement that it makes where He says, No, the meal is now ready. Come and eat. Because it's, it's already been done. So those who have bad excuses eventually are going to find out that they have no seat at the table. but they're left outside of God's grace and His goodness. And yet, Jesus, where He's going to go in the rest of this parable is, He wants us to understand how revolutionary God's grace really is. And how good it really is. In fact, this is just another meal that He's sharing with a group of sinners. Last week we looked at Luke 5. and In Luke 5 it said that Jesus answered the charges there and He says, those who are healthy have no need of a physician, but those who are sick need a doctor. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, with that meal, he was sharing a meal with tax collectors and sinners as the religious people labeled them. What we see here is that Jesus is now with the Pharisees, and what Jesus is trying to get them to understand is you're just a different group of sinners. Your sin just looks different than the last group I hung out with. And so you've got worldly sinners, and you've got religious sinners, but sinners are still sinners, and they're all coming to a meal hungry and unable to provide for themselves. So Jesus didn't just come to sit with sinners. He came to heal sinners, and he came to offer them a better kingdom. So friends, one of the things I want you to understand as we talk about this series of hospitality is our world, the the message and the lesson that we are continually taught in our world is that just leave me alone and let me do my thing and keep to your own business, and I'm good. I and mean, that's the message we say is just don't, don't judge me in anything I do. As long as you just stay out of my turf, let me do whatever it is that I want to do, you and I are going to be just fine. But sometimes Jesus steps in and says, but what if there's a better way? What if there's something you're missing out on that I want to make sure that you understand? And he invades our personal space because he wants us to know a greater good. And he's talking to these religious leaders and saying, look, I'm right here in front of you bringing the kingdom of God and you're going to miss it. You're going to miss all the blessing that I want to do. So in light of that, he's going to send someone out and invite people in because he says, I didn't prepare this meal for no reason. Notice who it is that gets invited the second time around. They run out into the seats, uh, the city streets and the back alleys, and they're going to find the outcasts and the afflicted and uh, the homeless guy up underneath the bridge on the overpass. Uh, these are the people that he's running to find, and it's listed as the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame, this is very intentional. And in that day, the, the, those who were lamed or those who were maimed were not allowed to go into the temple and experience the full worship of God. And so in Judaism, they weren't allowed to go into the fullness of the temple and enjoy fullness of, of worship. And Jesus is saying, those are the ones that are getting invited in because no one's getting left out in my kingdom. My kingdom is bringing in a new day. And those who may be poor physically and don't have anything to eat, God doesn't, isn't going to shelve them but he's going to invite them in because there is no judgment of their poverty and what they can't handle. But there's also a spiritual lesson that I think is taking place here that I think is really important. And it's that poverty is those who are empty-handed and hungry for spiritual nourishment. Lame is those who are broken and wounded by the sin of this world. The blinded are people who are spiritually blind and able to see God's truth and God's goodness. And in the way in which they live, they just they misread everything in the way they understand the way the world works. Those who are limping
1: are those who are wounded and hurt by walking through the difficulty of this world. He's talking about all of us. Here's the good news for you for me. What he's saying is God wants to enjoy fellowship with you. And God will do everything that's needed to restore you to right place with Him.
0: And in His revolutionary grace, He will welcome you in to enjoy a meal with Him that lasts forever. The scriptures talk about receiving bread without payment or water that's never-ending. Friends, the gospel is good news that you're invited to a feast that lasts forever, and God's grace picks up the entire tab. It means you get something better than you ever imagined, and you don't have to pay a dime for it. Because it's all provided. You notice the, the statement that, that Jesus makes in the story. He says, come, for everything is now ready. You know what everything means? Everything. It means everything for your salvation is already done. When is it ready? What, what's left to be done? Nothing. Now it's ready. All you have to do is what? Come. Come, for everything is now ready. Uh, there's three excuses that these guys give. It's interesting that Jesus also gives three invitations. He sends the guy out three different times. So for every excuse that we have, God's grace will match it. He's doing everything he possibly can to get us to come back into right relationship and enjoy his kingdom. He says, everything you throw out, I'll match it. And I'll one-up you, and I've provided everything you need. All you have to do is come and to trust my grace. He sends the servant out a third time this way out of the hedges and the highways. It's fascinating because the master, Jesus making it obvious, will take anyone who will come. And you notice what it is he tells the the guy, his servant, the master says, go and compel them to come in. What he's not saying is go and manipulate them. He's not going to go and force them. He's not like come and grab their arm and pull it up and like, you know, force them to come in. What he's saying is go out and persuade them, encourage them, urge them to come. Why is it that people sometimes need to be urged to come to God's grace? Because they don't know God and they don't trust him. They don't know who he is and they don't know who his, what, his, what his provision looks like. And so he's telling his servants, go out and persuade them to join. Friends, can I tell you our city is full of people who need friends who will show them where they can find the bread of God's
1: blessing and walk alongside them until they come home. Our city is full of people who don't know the Lord. And they
0: hear us talk about God's blessing, and they need someone to come alongside them and say, let me tell you about the God that I know. Let me tell you what he's done for me. Let me tell you what his grace is like. Let me tell you about how he forgave me for my sin." Let me tell you how he met me at the place of my greatest need. Let me tell you how he continues to provide for me. Let me tell you what my relationship with God is like. And I want to invite you to come and meet him for yourself. Taste and see that the Lord is good, the scriptures say. And God sends his servants out to invite others to come and taste and see what, the, what a meal with a master looks like and feels like and tastes like. And so he takes the initiative. He sends people out in all directions, in all places, with this invitation to come and to enjoy the meal. Do you get the picture of what Jesus is doing? Uh, Friends, it's a beautiful picture of this parable, of what Jesus wants us to understand. And it also, I think, um, has some important things for us just to, to assimilate and to think about as well. Can I give you three quick applications? How it is we live this out and what we do? Uh, The first thing we need to do is put on corrective lenses of the gospel to see beyond our excuses. And I don't know what your excuses are, but they're not that good. Just like what we see in this passage, uh, they're they're lame excuses. Any excuse we throw out, Jesus is going to match it. I was like, nope, my grace is better than that. I remember the first time I got glasses. I didn't know I needed them for a while. And I really need glasses to see far away. I remember sitting at an event where I was watching a stage from far away, and I'm like, I don't know if that's a man or a woman. Like, I have no idea who's up there. Like, I can't see that. I think I have an issue. I need to see something else. We were getting glasses and putting them on for the first time, and I walked outside, and I was like, dude, trees have individual leaves. Like, they're not just green blobs of mass. They have actually lots of little leaves on a tree. And I could see things in a whole new way. And friends, we we need to put on the corrective lenses of the gospel To see life as it really is. To see that our security in our things is not really that secure. To see that our success is not really that great and it's not going to last forever. To see that the family and our ability to navigate, manage, and make sure that everyone's happy all the time isn't really going to last. Because life happens and hurts happen and things go wrong and you can't control it. And you need a family that's forever that's bigger and stronger than you are. We need corrective lenses to see things as they really are. Secondly, you need to bring your poverty, your blindness, your brokenness and your woundedness to the feast of God's love
1: so that you can receive healing, sight, fullness, wholeness and community. That God's grace meets you right where you are. And we bring nothing to the table and he gives us everything. He says, "Come. Everything is now ready. Everything. You'll find your needs met in Him, but you have to come. That's
0: why we sing in old hymn, Rock of Ages, Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked I come to you for dress. Helpless I look to Thee for grace. Bow to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. I bring nothing, and He meets all my needs where I am. Third,
1: we need to go into the streets of our city and compel others to join us at the eternal banquet, enjoying salvation and all its blessing. Friends, can I just ask, who are you bringing to sit at the table with you? If you're a servant, Jesus has invited you and he says, come, everything's ready. And he will meet you and provide everything you need.
0: But then he looks at us and he looks at his servants and he says, go out into the city. Run in every direction. Grab all the people out there that are hungry, all that are lame, all that are blind, all that are needy, and invite them to come and find their needs to be met in me. And we get to participate in him and invite in offering the invitation to come. And he tells us, compel them, urge them to come and enjoy the goodness of life with me. Friends, when we open our new building, one of the dangers we have is that we could become insulated. We could become kind of a ghetto to ourselves and say, well, we've got all this great place for us. You understand we actually built into the design of our building openness. We built garage doors that open up. We built everything to, to open out to our community. We put it right in the middle of our city. And we did it on purpose because we want it to be a lighthouse for, the, for people to come to know what, the, what a feast with the king looks like. And we want to be those that are continually inviting people to come. Friends, let's not be like the Pharisees that turn inward and go, how does all this feed me? When I get in the kingdom, I will enjoy the blessing of God's good bread. But let's be those who run
1: to all the byways and highways of our world, inviting people to come and meet the king that we know. Let me pray for us. Father, your word says blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We know that the end, that you will come, that you will send your son to restore and make all things new. And that all those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will enjoy life with you forever.
0: Father, I don't want to run
1: past the moment. Father, there's people all over our city that don't know you. They don't know your goodness. They don't know your grace. They don't know that Jesus died to make a way for them to come home to a table where they would feast. In your goodness forevermore. Father, would you break our hearts for those around us? And Father, if there's anyone here today
0: who would say, I don't know, that God might today be the day that they turn and they trust you, they look to you.